This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. This is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, a return guest and an excellent one. Michael Nathanson is the co-founder and senior managing director of the research firm SVB, Moffitt Nathanson. One of the top analysts in the country when it comes to the media sector um, and does a lot of stuff when it comes to how all this impacts of the sports you see. Someone who covers uh, Disney, so Bob Iger's comments on CNBC regarding looking for strategic partners, regarding what their plans might be for ESPN, um, regarding potentially selling a linear network such as ABC. These are all topics I got into with Michael, and they obviously all affect you as ESPN viewers, including um, long-term prospect when ESPN ultimately goes direct to consumer with all its uh, big stuff. Um, What are the prospects of uh, people maybe seasonally cutting ESPN and how that impacts the business? We also get into Adam Silver's thinking, terms of nba media rights warner brothers discovery interest in the nba will netflix ever get in to live sports and uh where the u.s television market is right now as well as in the medium term i will say before we start uh i had a little bit of audio issue so this is going to sound like basically you're listening to a zoom interview as opposed to my audio being uh the usual uh cleaner version but uh i think we'll get that uh fixed by the next uh podcast just had some tech stuff that went down but i didn't want to hold this uh this episode off so apologies there all right one last thing and uh this is what michael has to do for um, any media appearance he does sort of mandatory disclosure that the company works for does have um uh some markets and commentary when it comes to the fox corporation walt disney company netflix paramount global and Warner's Brothers Discovery. So we get that uh, um, disclosures out there. All right. And uh, without any further ado, one of the best when it comes to analyzing the media, Michael Nathanson coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, I'm really pleased to be rejoined by this guest. Second time on this podcast, the uh, response on the first podcast was sensational. So I knew He was going to come back on. Michael Nathanson is the co-founder and senior managing director of the research firm SVB, Moffitt Nathanson. He's one of the top analysts in the country when it comes to the media sector. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Michael Nathanson. Michael, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me, Richard. Uh, Honored to be here. Thanks for inviting me back. Listen, 
given the prices that you're charging me, you're, you're certainly welcome <laughs> back anytime. All right. I think, you know, here where we're going to start, um, you know, in my world, Bob Iger's comments were really, really interesting, but in some ways seismic to, to summarize for my audience. Um, when it comes to ESPN, he said, you know, we're going to be open-minded, not necessarily about spinning off the ESPN, but about looking for strategic partners that could either help us with distribution or content. He said he wants to stay in the sports business. He also talked about perhaps um, getting rid of the linear asset, ABC. So in one, on your beloved CNBC, Michael, in one interview, Bob Iger really created a lot of news. So I want to start with a very big picture. How did you read what he, what he said? Yeah, Richard, I was, I totally respect Bob Iger and I, th- I find him probably the most honest CEO I've ever dealt with. But I was surprised he did it on NBC. I was surprised that he did it that way. I, you know, usually people make announcements like that and saying, here's what we're going to do. Like, here's this, like, so I feel like we got the first part of, of this speech and what was missing was, okay, here's how we're going to deal with it, right? There was nothing he had said about linear networks that would surprise any of us, right? We've been really bearish on linear networks. ESPN didn't surprise us either. It's just the admission of this is where we are, or that maybe internally communicating to his team, and then having a plan B. Um, I'm really worried because I don't think there's a home for the linear networks, right? Like I, I, I think when the CEO of one of the best companies in the in the world tells you these assets have no value to him, then I'm not sure how anyone else is going to see value in those assets. And then on the ESPN side, to me, it's not obvious how that's an easy win that someone's going to take an equity stake in ESPN because we think we're, they're about to hit a bit of a, a cliff in terms of their business model, right? Like things are getting worse on the top line and they have a bunch of renewals coming on the, on the cost side. So I give them A plus for honesty, and much lower grades for, okay, so now what we're going to do about it, right? So now here's the payoff to my honesty. And there's, at this point, not a lot of payoff to that honesty. All right. There's a couple things I want to get to just on what you just said alone. Let's take the yeah. let's take the linear part first. I think anybody, even with a casual interest in television, knows that the, the viewership numbers for linear television have just sunk. I mean, we once lived in a Family Ties, Cosby Show, Cheers universe where stuff was getting 20, 25 million on NBC on Thursday nights like that. That universe is, is is long dead and buried. And now we live in a universe where people sometimes will celebrate a scripted show that does 2 million viewers or 3 million viewers. Success, like Succession. It didn't do that. You know, it was a great show. Maybe 4 million viewers yeah, at the end of the day. Exactly. Right. Yeah. On, the, on, the, on the HBO side. So here's my question for you, Mike, in terms of the linear networks. Like the reality is some of the contracts that ESPN has when it comes to sports. Let's just take the NFL, for example. Like the NFL made a deal with them with the with the um, promise contractually in mind that like a Super Bowl will be on ABC or the equivalent of a linear network. So when someone like Iger is calculating that, like, can he really give up that asset or do you have to partner with another partner that has that asset? Cause I would just think again, I haven't seen like a contract like the NFL, but it's just logical to state like, you have made a deal with the NFL that these games are on this linear television. Or the NBA, who probably values ABC's reach for the for the world, you know, the championship. So 
that what's funny that data point your your knowledge of that sparked internal conversation with our firm and you would think that if you're abc you now need to before you do any spinning negotiate a formal arm's length agreement of here's what i'm going to pay for these rights but then again as you know there's been more and more simulcast than even monday football right so it's like what are you doing what are you doing the simulcast basis right and and abc you would argue maybe doesn't have enough sports because abc and espn have gone to market together in terms of what they get from distributors so it opens up this huge can of worms and i think we have to do is create true agreements between both networks but again, that may not be enough for ABC. Maybe ABC would like to go out and get their own sports under someone else's ownership, right? If it's Richard Michael owning ABC, we'd say, hey, let's just do our deals ourselves. Like the leagues want to work with net broadcast nets, not cable nets. Why do we need ESPN to, to hand off these rights to us? Maybe the next couple of years will be benefits, right? So it's just a practicality to your point. And then even like retransmission negotiations, right? So ABC doesn't have a lot of sport, but they're getting paid as if they were fox but you separate out espn and abc how do you figure out how do you share retrans between these two companies right right and that's that's an issue so yeah it's uh again i was surprised i was surprised that espn wasn't part of the the spin co like to me i don't think you get a lot of value richard for spinning off those linear networks it's almost like it's almost too late to do it yeah and we can go in this direction later, but I think ESPN has a lot of value in streaming, but probably in a different way than the company does. But so we were we were surprised, as I said, by the the lack of a clear plan because it's not obvious that it's easy to do what he wants to do. You know? So CNBC continuing um, their reporting. Alex Sherman has done a, a good job with this stuff. Uh, reported that ESPN has held early talks about a strategic partnership with the NBA, and the NFL. And MLB that could include the leagues taking an equity stake in the business. Uh, I believe that reporting was confirmed by the New York Times and maybe some others. At least the the, the confirmation is early talks. Early talks is such a broad thing, but for the purposes of this conversation, that's sort of where we're at. So to me, Michael, there's a lot that exists there. I won't use you to talk about the journalism side of that because it has real issues there in terms of what that would mean. That's like from your perspective as a as an analyst, like would a strategic partnership solve the the financial issues for ESPN? Like, is that feasible or not? Okay, let me go your question. That question that's a good question. Does it solve their ills? If you just step back and look at the challenges that ESPN is facing, they're facing a revenue problem because people are cutting the cord. And therefore, there's less homes paying 12, 15 bucks a month every year. And they're facing a challenge because they have not truly scaled yet in ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus, is, and we reported, we did a note on this, the vast majority of their subs are in a bundle, the bundle up at Disney Plus. So they're not, there's not a huge cohort of fans right now outside the bundle who want to pay for ESPN Plus on their own, right? So they have a revenue issue. They also have a cost issue because unfortunately, they have a lot of fixed cost contracts that are only rising just as the revenues fall, right? The solution that we've been saying is one of two solutions. The way you fix this problem is by having a quote-unquote monopoly control of all sports rights. Like if you think about Sky in the UK, 
and Premier League. The reason they charge as much is because almost every game you want in the Premier League is available on Sky. The problem with American sports is Fox Sports, Turner Sports, CBS Sports, NBC Sports all exist, and they all have pieces, as you know, of valuable parts of content. So you need to somehow recreate. You have to create a monopoly without calling it a monopoly, right? You have to get all these sports rights together so then all fans have to pay in to find your bundle all year long, right? So the problem is I can see how local issues get fixed, right? The RSNs breaking down. You can put baseball games in ESPN plus. You can put basketball there like hockey has done. So that kind of makes sense. But I'm not sure it solves the problem on revenue. I'm not sure there's a huge cohort of people willing to pay a lot of money a month for the standalone products outside the NFL and college football, right? And those exist today on ESPN. So I don't think it solves their financial problem. It could have anything. What I've heard, Richard, if you want, I'd like to ask you. We've heard just some reporting or just some conversations that the ESPN sides are worried about like the their their next couple of years profitability and maybe it's a way to absorb some losses, get some funding, and really link interests longer term because the leagues need ESPN to survive. It's a great feeder channel for their sports. It builds awareness. It, it builds brand. So they need ESPN to exist and be healthy. So do you think this is a bit of a lifeline that this is a financial plus, you know, kind of long-term sustainability bet that they're making? Maybe. I mean, I, again, I would say you're more of an expert on this than me, but you could make the argument that maybe this investment or infusion of cash, they're gambling that the ad market eventually comes back and that this money is the bridge. Uh, let's, we'll just play it out. This money is the bridge to 2028 when the American economy is booming, the ad market is there, whatever new technologies exist, exist. Um, and maybe that's their thought exercise. What what I don't know is um, if the leagues have done their due diligence to figure out how they may make their money back for the investment. Like, I, I'm with you. Like, yeah. if ESPN folds, it's a disaster for professional sports. Like, they don't want that to happen. But you also don't want to, you know, you want to give $100 million and just have it burn in a pit either, right? Right, right. So, yeah, so ESPN, we said this last time, right? I know, this, I know some of the folks there are not happy with this, but here's the issue. ESPN has UFC coming due, NBA coming due, college football playoffs coming due. And you and I had a debate all about that right. and Pac-12. Let's assume Pac-12 doesn't get done, right? I, I, but you still have... What, I mean, maybe a penny's on the dollar, but that wouldn't be a good investment for them, in my opinion. But, okay, but you still haven't seen the inflation yet for NBA, right. UFC, yeah. and CFB, college football playoffs, right? So Huge for all of it. Right. And it's not like the, the revenue base is, is getting better, it's getting worse, right? So it's like you have this huge problem. Um, our debate, Richard, and I've had a 360 on this or 180, sorry, a 180. I think I was very critical last time I was on about the strategies of Paramount and Peacock, who took the NFL and moved their best NFL content to streaming and offered streaming for like four or five bucks with all NFL games, right? I'm like, well, they're cheating the system. They're going to get penalized by distributors. They're going to be dropped because why would you pay if you're why if you're Comcast, bad example, if you're Charter, why are you paying for Paramount twelve bucks a month? You know, corporate when you can get Paramount Plus for nine, right, or six as at the time. We now have had a, a bit of reverse thinking. We're like, we've not seen anyone really get penalized from quote unquote cheating the system. In fact, Comcast, which is the biggest distributor, 
is putting more on. They have a playoff game coming this year on the NFL, only on Peacock. Like, what does that tell you? You know, it's like you have my blessing people to go out there and pretty much move content exclusively to the streaming, right? So our view is like maybe Disney, and this is not how they think about it today. Maybe, you know, I'm just an analyst outside the company. But maybe they should take their sports and embed it in Hulu and Disney Plus. Like I don't know if ES- I don't know if someone said to me maybe it's my- myopic, but just creating another ESPN streaming service. Maybe it's better to like embed sports inside their two biggest assets when they combine them, Hulu and Disney Plus, and give you and I a reason every day to come back to Disney Plus and Hulu because I don't have one now, right? Because I don't have any kids that young at Disney Plus. I'm I'm not a Marvel guy. I don't know Hulu. You know what? There's not a lot of original content there, so. We've been thinking maybe they should re- change it. They, Disney's not said that, but I wonder if they're being too myopic because I think the solution is to you, let Linear do what it does, but use streaming and sports somehow together drive more folks into your streaming bundle. That's what I think. You said something that was interesting. Um, I don't remember where you said it on. But you said that one of the fears for an ESPN direct-to-consumer product, essentially this is like if ESPN Plus had all of their programming on it, would be that people could simply cut like during a season of which they don't want it. So like, what I was sort of thinking about is that like, well, I mean, they have a lot of great offerings, like, like in terms of all their assets, but like, I did think you were right. Like you could cut like between July and September every single year. Right. And make this a nine month business as a sports fan, which I think would be disastrous for them. So let me throw that back to you. Like, is there a solution in terms, like there may not be a solution, right? If you have the viewers who just make a decision, Hey, we're going to, we're going to cut every June after the NBA finals. And then maybe we'll come back in September for the NFL. Right. So that's like, that is, yeah, that thanks for picking up on that. That is the, one of the biggest risks to streaming, right? That the linear bundle had monthly churn, let's call it 2%. That means every, every month, Two percent of your base would cancel. So if there are hundred million people, only two percent would cancel. Pretty good. And so those people would come back. In streaming, the churn rate, Netflix is like two, two and a half, it's really good. But streaming could be as high as six, seven, eight percent, meaning that in a year's period, almost all your base mathematically churns, right? So in the old world, let's say you got 90, well, let's call it you got 75% of every dollar over the year. So if I pay ten dollars a month. The odds are the twenty five percent of the money I was paying would stick in the system because the churn would be twenty four or twenty five percent a year. In linear, you can get that cut in half, right? So you think, hey, my price is the same as as linear. Sorry, streaming's price same as linear, but the reality is you're not getting as many months. So it's a huge, huge revenue problem, right? So the, how do you attack that? It's it's not easily attacked if you're there for the NBA and the NFL. And, and baseball is all localized, right? So you you have to if you're you you need something in the summer. Maybe it's baseball. I'm not sure to kind of fill in these spots, but that then costs money. So it's not it's, it's a real problem, Richard. Like our, we keep saying, the bundle was the best invention for everyone. Don't kill the bundle so fast, you know. And they're all killing the bundles fast as they can, basically, you know. Do you, Mike? Do you, how do you feel like as we're talking today in uh, July of 2023? about sports rights writ large. It's a high fixed cost, so um, you have to pay for it. I I think the NBA obviously expects, and correctly so, a a rights increase. So you're always going to pay more probably than you did before. 
Um, and it's really at this point, um, you know, in terms of like for some linear uh, strategies like Fox, it's essentially like their business at the moment, like new sports. Right. So in a declining sub world, do you feel that sports is still a like a good investment long term at the moment? It seems like it's the only investment, but that's is that is that will that be true in your opinion? 2028, 2030. Yes, but I think I think the ROI, the return on investment, you have to be a lot more judicious about the decision-making, right? I think the NFL is always going to, well, I'll back up. The NFL pulls the rest of your business along with it, right? So the NFL itself probably doesn't make any money anymore. It did the last contract, we would argue. But to me, it's, it's, you have to basically break it down between streaming and linear, national and local, and with a national, the hierarchy of rights, right? So it's a really complicated answer that I could take a half hour of my time with you. But I would say what I've come to believe in doing the work is I think streaming, streaming services have to bring sports in more and more. Because again, the recurring viewership, the churn reduction during the NBA season, the NFL season, it's very valuable. So I think, and I've never, you know, this is a bit of a pivot. They spend all this money making original content. That's literally a roll of the dice. Isn't it better to basically stop making, you know, 10 episodes at 20 million an episode and go buy, you know, a year's worth of rights? Cause you know, you get recurring, but the rights have to be in that top upper funnel of quality, right? It has to be NBA, NFL. Baseball is probably too cut by this point. I'm not sure hockey works, college college sport work, but yeah, Richard, I, th I think for the strong will survive and use streaming as a way to offset the weakness and linear. I really were. I wonder about the middle and the bottom. I actually do. The question will be like a, what a UFC, WWE. How do they do? You know, they're a 52 week season. They have premium events. They're good for streaming. Like that's going to be interesting. Like we, I didn't bring WWE, UFC into the next set of deals coming to. I did with Disney, but that's going to be kind of the the canary in the coal mine. Like, what happens with WWE and UFC in the next couple of years? You know, I mean, I think you know, I uh, I mean, I you know, I watch uh, pro wrestling, so I, I, I I'll be sort of transparent with the audience. So I like it. I think it's interesting, and uh, uh, there is something about fifty two weeks a year, Mike. Like you get that's a cheap, yeah. that's that's multiple hours every week, um, and probably cheaper than scripted programs, like. By and large, without it, without that, and the ability to create premium event that you could like what UFC and Disney have shown exactly. the buy through rates, right? Just you tease a premium event every month or so, and that's additive revenues, right? So I think there's something there. Um, and also, you own the league, right? Like, I think the challenge for some of these leagues is not, not the NFL, the rights have been so sliced and diced that not one package. As, like I said this to you last time about being a baseball fan and a hockey fan, I can go a long way without my RSN now. Yeah. You know, because there's enough, enough of my Rangers and Yankees on nationally. And I don't need, I'm sitting this morning, I have enough time doing other things. I don't need to spend every night watching my teams. I consider my teams. And when I get to the playoffs, it's all there anyway. Yeah. So I think the regular season's got a real challenge to it. I, I really do. You, know? See, you mentioned something earlier, and I just, I, I just want to get a sense of from you the feasibility. Um, like, theoretically like a national sports bundle would be incredible if you can get fox and espn and cbs and nb and comcast you know all the parent companies to come together and like create a national sports bundle i, I mean i think the pricing could be 
incredible. But that's just not realistic, right? There are, I mean, they're still competitors, right? Then no one's going right. to, the part, the, the maybe one of the groups could partner, but you could never get all the groups to partner, right? No, I was asking, this is my thesis for YouTube TV, which I, you know, I'm a spokesperson, spokesperson for YouTube TV. I love it. I, I asked you too, like, why did you have this public at our conference? Why are you paying for some of these networks that are cheating? And they're like, well, the clients, you know, everyone likes to have all the content in one place. But my point was, I want all my sports content in one place. I want you to basically kick people out who've taken sports content over the top and just pay for in the bundle those citizens that are good actors who are just keeping content exclusive to your bundle and basically create an incentive for people to rethink the leaking of rights over the top. YouTube didn't seem to be very interested in, within that idea. But yeah, I don't have, maybe Hulu would do it. We'll see if Bob does that. But it's got to be a virtual MVPD. I think the big distributors are just letting video die and ride off into the sunset. They're not going to make any big changes. But to me, the virtual MVPDs, YouTube's and Hulu's, can be game changers. I think 50 channels for 50 bucks, 60 bucks of all sports would be a really good solution. I really do. I think it would stop some of the bleeding that, that we see going on here. I want to ask you about reach because the last time we, um, we talked a lot about it. Um, and one of the things you said was that you thought Fox may be an interesting potential player for the NBA if Adam Silver wanted to expand the reach of the league, which he does, by going with a broadcast network. Since then, Lachlan Murdoch came out and said, we're probably... At our conference, yeah. yeah. Said yeah. that... Uh, uh, we're not going to be interested again. A lot of guy, a lot of times, these guys say X and do and do Y. But I would think if you're that public, you're, you're probably not going to jump. If you're going to be as public at like you're a Moffat yeah. conference, you're yeah. going to change course. So all that said, um, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery, Disney are the incumbents. Um, I think NBC clearly has interest and unquestionably you would think the amazons or apples of the world are gonna are gonna look at this do you still think that e with everything that's going on adam silver is still thinking about reach mike and that that's a real important or maybe that's still priority one for him and, and um you figure out the sort of the rest of that after you you take care of priority one i think it's combination of reach and size of the checkbook right i i you know i i I think, look, he's been a partner with Turner for a long time and Turner is a great job in, you know, in their pregame shows and covering the, the league. But David Zaslav can't afford to pay as much as Adam Wan. So I, I think you have to take Zaslav's check as, as long as it's reasonable. You have to basically buy it up and say, look, I know TNT and TBS, TNT is going to have declining reach. But I need to find more partners here. I need to basically basically look like the NFL at some point. I need two or three partners on a streaming platform, right? The NFL has always given a really good blueprint of how to do this. And the NBA, I think, is penalized by being only on a cable system, right? Like folks my kids' ages don't subscribe to pay TV, but they like the NFL, the NBA. They need to find some way to deliver that to my kids. So I think it's going to be a combination, but I would. They do have. I could see. see. It's just limited. Yeah. Or it's you know right. it's that Saturday game, and then they obviously have the playoffs, yeah. NBA finals. Yeah, but 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 it's going to be interesting to me. I don't have the answer here. I'm clearly not giving the answer. What does Turner do? Right. Because I think Turner really needs it. But uh, 
your NBA, uh, sorry, the NBA, NBC supposedly in the mix, and they could use Peacock as well. Um, we'll see how aggressive Brian Roberts wants to be here. But I would think if I'm, I'm sober, if I can get close to similar money with a broadcast net, I'd do that over, over TNT, despite all the history here, all the support. I just think, you know, you need, you need reach. And the quarters in which the NBA is not on Turner, reach comes down a ton, right? So it's like the NBA is really valuable in driving reach to Turner, which gives them a ability to, to drive advertising and affiliate views. And then I think the money, the real, the, the increase where they'll ultimately get is I think if they bring Amazon in or something like that, that's where they can get a nice big paycheck. Yeah. That, to me, that fits into Amazon's portfolio. Beautiful. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, I said to you earlier, like I think when we dig into the, the pitfall of streaming, it's the fact there's just too much scripted content. Just too much scripted content. But believe it or not, it's an indictment of my wife and I. It's July 24th, and we're now just getting to the last episode of Ted Lasso, which I think ended back in May. Because there's so much stuff we have we've been watching. It's like, you know, it's just there's just an overabundance of choice. And by unpacking some of the scripted shows, which are expensive and so, somewhat risky, putting in live sport, it's probably a better long-term ROI for these You're one of the you're probably you may be the most prominent analyst, at least that I've read who still believes that there'll be a time Netflix will get into live sports. They've continued to say repeatedly, every single earnings call, whatever they're asked the question, um, they say no. Uh, at the same time, they continue to add more shoulder sports programming, you know, from breakpoint to full swing to drive to survive. You know, they're, they're, they're increasing that um, original content, like significantly. And by the way, yeah. I think they've done a great job. You still, as we talk today, believe that one day they're eventually going to, they're just, they're going to say, all right, this is, I don't know what it'll be. I thought it might've been F1, but you know, whether it's, it's going to be a global product to figure cause that's Netflix, but you think one day it happened. Yeah. I have uh, learned over my years to watch what Netflix does and not what they say, ah. you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I used to interview Ted Sarandos. 10 years, 12 years ago when I was at another firm and he was like, I'm not getting into original content. That's a risky business, right? We're not going to make movies. That's tough business. We're not getting into advertising. And that's, that's not what we want to do. I think the issue Netflix is going to have is at some point there's an upper band on their ability to price, right? There's a point at which I say to my family, 25 bucks a month. I am sorry. It's maybe an hour and a half of our day. That's a ton of money. But if you add sport, you know, the history of sport is people, pricing is pretty powerful, right? Look at the price of even tickets to baseball games these days, 81 games a year. Um, so I think it'd drive pricing. I think it would also be better ROI than the films they're making. Those films are really expensive. So I'm going to, and we'll see what happens. You have the NBA come and do, we'll see if they step up. The NBA would together, the international would be a bit of be a bit of a win win for both sides. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I looked at yeah. a couple. Yeah. Keep you here about ten more minutes, and uh, yeah. I appreciate it. Okay, the of course very broad stroke here uh, because we don't know obviously how long it's going to last. But um, is there any um, sort of connection for you between the the double strike that we're seeing in Hollywood and sports content and rights? And my only sort of thought there is just that like. Um, it seems like if scripted television, right, doesn't exist, like the over-reliance on sports just gets bigger. Yeah. You know, so we've been pretty clear that the longer the strike goes on, the materially worse it gets for the industry. Like this is, I understand what the issues are not going to basically 
pick my sides. But just to know that, look, this thing goes through Thanksgiving, it would be terrible. It's terrible. Like it's going to affect the box office. It's going to affect broadcast television. It may affect cord cutting. Put this back on. Um, but the winner is the NFL, you know, Fox, like college football. Like you're going to have massive advertiser interest in sport. And just, you know, what's on tonight, honey? Well, more, more sports, you know, more football, right? So I think for those networks like Fox and ESPN, that I guess you've got to have all that sport the, and CBS too in the, in the fourth quarter, it's going to be good for them. You know, CBS has a risk of have a lot of primetime scripted shows, yeah. but Richard, this is going to, this is going to further, this is going to further prove the thesis that you need to have live sports. You need to have it. And I think if this thing goes on, it will really wound the legacy companies in a way that's going to make consolidation more likely. Like it's going to be very good for Netflix, probably good for Amazon at the end of the day, because it's not their core business or Apple uh, and probably good for Disney and Fox net net, but it's going to create more pressures for everyone in this industry. The longer this thing goes on. Yeah. I know you, you, you spend more time on some other companies than Apple, but, um, but I do want to ask you, um, how you view uh, Lionel Messi coming to the United States. We just saw his first game uh, on Apple against uh, Cruz Azul in a new uh, Leaks Cup uh, format that they have. Apple notoriously does not release any numbers. So, you know, it's, uh, my, my intuition, at least when it came to baseball, is those numbers were horrifically low. And so you're not going to put that out. And I'm not even sure how big the, the, the Messi numbers were. That said... That league probably, Mike, had its best 24-hour period. Like, if you want to just use, like, anecdotal viral videos, I saw MLS everywhere, and I have never, ever seen that on any of my social feeds like that. That alone exactly. is interesting to me. So I wonder for you, do you have just broad strokes on on Messi's impact here? Remember Pele coming to the Cosmos? Yeah. And how they, yeah, it's, uh, I, I spent some time in Miami this winter. And just start, starting there, like the energy that's going to happen in Miami with our, all the, the Argentinian you know, nationals who are down there. I was there when they won the World Cup. It was amazing. Cool. It, creates, it creates this buzz, right? And to your point, if he could score anywhere near the way he scored in the past, you'll, you, you'll see him all over Twitter and SportsCenter. So it, it creates a reason to tune in. Um, I guess it does, you know. I know it's funny, Richard, you know, we've been waiting for soccer to break out for most of our adult lifetime, right? It just, it just hasn't. Um, I'm hoping it, I, it would be great just to see this work. You know, it's, it really would be great. I, I'm rooting for it to work. So I think it's such a, it's a, it's such a, it's such a, like when you watch World Cup, I realize they're Premier League. It's just the passion, the history. It's just awesome. We have none of that here, you know? It would be nice to participate in some of that, you know? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Two uh, two final ones for me. Um, yes, sir. I have um, been reading now. Um, 
real a ton more uh, more than I've ever read. I, I sort of I mean, people in the audience know this, but I'll just for the first of our conversation I might just give you like a quick snapshot. So I covered women's sports at Sports Illustrated. I covered women's college basketball, um, and while the sport was certainly popular with it in its own silo when I covered it in the early two thousands, we're in a different world now. Uh, LSU Iowa got nine point nine million viewers for the the national championship game. That's an incredible number. You know, that we're talking like, you know, playoff baseball number, playoff basketball kind of number, et cetera. So we've seen and read a ton of stuff that how the, the business community says that we, the time to invest in women's sports is now Uh, ESPN. um, They may be faced with, do they have to bid like on the women's basketball tournament as a separate entity? Right. So they have to sort of pay for that. So it's really, really interesting. I guess for, I would ask you as someone on the sort of analyst business side, like it's great to hear the talk, but do you think like money will, is this the time now where actually money follows the talk? Because that's really what, it's great to have the conversation, but what ultimately will separate this is will companies part with their money to sort of facilitate this as a, as a major, major business? I think that rating took notice, right? College, when I watch college softball World Series and ESPN, like it's great, right? And uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think Richard, I'll date myself. I think we're in the middle, we're in the midst of a real societal change. Um, when I was growing up, we didn't see women's sports on television. I, you know, and I think, I think all these companies have to put their money where their mouth is, right? They have to step up and do it. It's so, yeah, I, I, I think. If, if there weren't the ratings that were for that event and other events, like, look, you have Women's World Cup going on. I think people are going to watch, right? So, yes, I, I think the decision is going to be where does the money come from, right? This was not in our budgets before. You know, what do we, what, what gets kicked out if you're the, the CBS folks or the NBC folks? What's being kicked out of our budget? But again, given the big picture view that scripted is going to streaming, and there's too much of it, and that linear exists for live, live sport, not even news anymore, live sport. I mean, need more of it exclusively. I, I think it makes sense. I do. I think we're in a sweet spot right now. That's good. Good to hear. Our right, last one, yeah. again, I know you guys you, yes, you guys usually deal in like what's coming up next quarter. Okay. So you, yeah. uh, for me, if you can take, give me a medium-term view here as opposed to a short-term view. What are we looking at, in your opinion, for like the U.S. television sort of ad market by the end of 2023 and 2024. And I know just broadly, because I work at The Athletic, and so obviously I work for a subscription place. And so like the yeah. challenges that exist, the ad market, it seems like across the board right now is brutal. What do you see, let's say in the next six to 12 months, because that obviously will affect a lot of the discussion we talked about from the ESPNs of the world to the NBC Sports of the world, et cetera. Well, I think what's happening in real time is that um, you have the macro, whatever the macro is going to be. The real time changes. Look at the ratings, the linear ratings of things that are not sports on linear TV. The reason we bought those shows was for reach. And I was able to effectively reach X percentage of the country on any given night. And that's a really unique opportunity as an advertiser. But because ratings are down so much, X sports that the call to action, the rationale to buy reach is not there anymore. Therefore, the price we're paying for impressions and linear appears to be overvalued. And if Netflix 
could scale their impressions and YouTube could convince people to put more money to work that branded advertisers at YouTube and Disney Plus can grow in advertising. Then you have the first time in our lifetime, a replacement reach opportunity where you take money out of linear. So we have a very negative view, very negative view of your six to eight month horizon that this is going to get better for linear networks that are not sport. But I think if you're Fox Sports, if you're ESPN, if you're CBS Sports, the dollars are going to be there, probably better than ever before. Problem is not everyone is 100% sport, right? So what's going to happen is you're going to see a real crack up in linear ratings. I think for you at The Athletic, it's going to be good because you guys can create more and more sports-led content and more sports video content. But I think the real long-term opportunity is, can we find that reach in streaming? And that I think the answer is going to be yes. It's going to take some time there. But I wrote this, Robert Fishman, who works works with us. I'm going to give a shout-out to my team, Robert Fishman, Luke Landis, James Caceres. They did a note saying, is linear TV the next radio? Because radio was in the 90s, but we're not a great advertising medium and it cracked up after the 001 recession never came back. And I, we're really fearful that linear TV looks like radio for the next five to six years. Yeah. First of all, Mike, you have my email. Send me that note. I'd like to read that. I'll I'll send that note. You got it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Last one, last one, just a fun one for you. You're a Yankees fan, correct? Yeah, I was going to say New York Rangers, but yes, Yankees. <laughs> I know when I've talked to you before, there's a big Mariano Rivera. Yes, I'm a, I know. I don't have it behind me today, but yes. Okay, so if you're the Steinbrenner Brain Trust, and by the way, this doesn't presume he would go, but if you're the Steinbrenner Brain Trust, would you go all in, break the bank for Otani next year? Well, can I say on the Brain Trust, the first thing I do is I fire my general manager <laughs> and I start again. So I want you to keep that on air. Frank um, Ashman does have a lifetime job with the Yankees, it feels like. Is it, it? I am so depressed about how that team's been run the past 10, 15 years, right? You don't break the bank for Otani. You basically rebuild. You dump every salary you can, and you try to find four or five minor leaguers with, you know, within your, your system that can play at the major league level. Well, you want to go back to like 495 to try to set up. Yeah. Stick Michael. You got to like, this this does not work, Richard. Like this does not work. Like you could basically get us to the playoffs. The Yankees cannot lose. What is it now? Fourteen years, thirteen years in a row. Presuming they lose this year, no longer. Yeah, thirteen. Years. I mean, they've not competed at that level for a long, long time. Right? We get to the playoffs is wonderful, but if you did an analysis of the ROI of the Yankees' salary structure. Versus other teams, it's a terrible use of capital. It really is. Yeah. It's it's like it's like drafting Saquon Barkley in the second pick. Like what I want to do, and you can help me find a job. My next career is help companies, sports teams, analyze investment decisions because you can tell that teams that are good to make those good decisions, right? Like you don't pick a running back second, you just don't. 
right? You don't do that. And you don't, you don't pick up all the players Yankees picked up for those contracts. It's just terrible. It really is. It's depressing. I can, so, I can get, Mike, I can get you a job. Give an MBA from an Ivy League school because that's essentially who they yeah. are in the, in the, in the analytics evaluation departments. But yes, I, uh, I, I do. So whoever's listening to this, you know, at some point, at some point, I'll need another job. Does, being you know proves, I will say this. And again, it's not like they've won 20 World Series or anything. But the Rays are incredible in terms of their yeah. investment. The amount of salary, yeah. and they're actually too cheap, but the amount of salary that they have given to that baseball club versus what their results have been, that's an incredible yeah. ROI to me. Oh, I agree with you. And the Red Sox, and people in Boston are now pissed at the Red Sox. The Red Sox went on a, a huge run too. Right. But now people are pissed that they didn't resign, you know, Bogart and Mookie, you know? Yeah. Because you have to at some point – to your point in Otani, you have to like you have to pay a star once in a while. You do, you know. They 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 picked a couple different stars, right? But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. There's a, there's a whole next money ball. I know. Like, I, will, I live, a, I live a, in a, Toronto, so I really enjoy the Jays. They're a fun team to watch. But I have to admit, the one team's future who I'd want is the Orioles. They look on. Yeah, they have just a what seems like an uh, assembly line of like number one guys coming up. Right. So I'm making you feel good because someone told me about this about you. I think the Sabres could be really good this year. I think the Sabres, I would go over whatever the win total is because they ended the season pretty well. They have a lot of young players. Yeah. I know you said the Orioles are in hockey. I think the Sabres could be the Orioles. Have you, ever, have you, yeah. have you ever gone to a game in Buffalo? The passion no, I, I, I've not. for that team, which has been lousy forever, remains. Yeah. Well, and you know this, and then I'll let you go. The Buffalo market as a television market over indexes on its population it's amazing how into sports they are and i just for that market and obviously i live there so i, I have fondness for them i just wish they can get a championship in either football or hockey because they'd really i know it. And, they, and they deserve it you know let, let's hope it's uh i hope it's the next couple of years but i think the standards could be really good yeah, I they, really, they, they they um they have some really good young players i'm with you they do they do Let's hope so. All right, let me get Michael Nathanson is the co-founder and senior managing director of the research firm SVB Moffitt Nathanson. Um, if you are a watcher of CNBC, you'll see him frequently on there. And again, um, if you read just the business uh, press, um, you, you'll see his name. And uh, and he's one of the people who uh, you really should familiarize yourself with when it comes to sports stuff. Um, He's been doing this a long time and uh, has been a very successful analyst at that. Michael, it's always great to catch up with you. I, I always appreciate your time, and thanks for uh, coming back on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Richard. Awesome. I really appreciate it, too. My thanks to Michael Nathanson, and I appreciate uh, his time and insight. And again, uh, apologies for some of the audio issues here, uh, hopefully by uh, next episode. We will, uh, we will have them fixed. Head to the archives for other podcasts that I think you will appreciate. Prior to Michael Nathanson, we had the student journalist at the Daily Northwestern who reported on Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern football. Had Neil Everett, the longtime ESPN Sports Center anchor, on this podcast. Did something on the Wilt Chamberlain documentary on Showtime. Uh, Sally Jenkins was on this podcast from the Washington Post. Taylor Twelman about uh, how MLS and Apple can maximize Leo Messi's time in America. If you like these conversations, please leave us a five-star interview and a nice note. That's how the podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. 
And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.